Hey, welcome to the Caleb Mason podcast. So glad that you decided to spend some of your time here with me. And hey, on this podcast, we want to help people grow personally and professionally. And we feature all sorts of different conversations with with all sorts of different people, some everyday life people, um, and some people who are a little bit more well-known. And on today's episode, we're talking with somebody who's a little bit more well-known. His name is Ryan O'Neill, and you may know him as Sleeping at Last. And Ryan is an incredible, um, he's a musician, he's a creative, his his music has been featured in, in many commercials, in many movies, in many TV shows as well. And I'm very excited to talk with him today. I love listening to his music and I love um, just the conversation that we're going to have with him as well. It's a very wide ranging conversation and really enjoy it. But before we get into that, I want to tell you that the music that you're listening to is by my good friend, Sam Massey. He has produced and created all of this as well. And if you want um, any music for any, uh, really for any reason that you may need it, whether for your own podcast or for your business or whatever it might be, hit up Sam. His uh, information will be in our show notes as well. A couple of quick notes before we jump into the interview. The first one is that uh, this conversation was actually recorded over the summer of 2019. And then the other one that I wanted to let you know about is that we actually had to do two separate recordings for this because um, we uh, just ran into a little bit of a time conflict. And so uh, graciously, we were able to finish our conversation, but it's kind of split up into parts one and parts two and both parts are in this episode. So anyway, this conversation is going to be really great. Really excited to bring you my conversation with Ryan O'Neill, also known as Sleeping at Last. Well, Ryan, we are so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to chat. Yeah, and just as just as we were getting started, I just wanted to ask, you know, whenever it comes to music, what's inspiring you right now? Ooh, that's a great question. You know, I'm actually kind of embarrassed about my answer because I haven't been listening to a lot lately. Um, mm-hmm. I've been so consumed in uh, in finishing different songs for for my stuff that I haven't I haven't had as much input as I need. You know, I've, I've been focusing all my energy on output that mm-hmm. I haven't had a lot of uh, a lot of stuff I've been putting into my into my ears. But I, I love. Um, I'm trying to think of some like in the last at least this year. Um, Billie Eilish. I think I, I think I just love her voice. I think she's mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, I would say. Uh, I really love the new Switchfoot record. I think that they did an, an incredible job. Um, yeah, those are the first two that pop up in my mind, at least. <laughs> but I haven't been able to spend as much time with them. As well. <laughs> well, one one artist that I always love is Violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, just absolutely incredible music. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm constantly kind of pumping that through the house. Mm-hmm. Are there is there anything else besides music that's inspiring you right now? Like whether it be books or podcasts or anything like that, or even movies. Uh, kind of all, all of the above. Um, I love movies. I have a, I have a deep passion for film. And um, so I, I, I haven't been seeing as much lately as I would like as well. But um, I, I kind of that's, that's one of my one of my favorite sources of inspiration is being able to yeah, documentary footage to see something from somebody else's eyes is a really huge, uh, huge inspiration to me. But also, um, I just love storytelling. So mm-hmm. films are definitely, definitely um, a huge source of inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds like what you're doing right now is it just involves a lot of discipline of being able to focus on what you were talking about of your songs and stuff like that and making sure that you finish them. So like what, like, is there anything else that helps you with that type of discipline besides, you know, limiting the stuff that you're, 
that you're intaking or the inputs, as you were saying? I would say that it's, it's, it is kind of like a constant tug of war with discipline because I, I'm, I'm naturally not great at discipline. <laughs> so my, my instincts, every, every part of me is kind of always fighting against, uh, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm sitting in the chair doing the work. Um, and it's, I, I even noticed recently as I was finishing up my, uh, the, the, the most recent song, I knew that I was on a, uh, that I needed to focus on writing lyrics and I knew that I needed to like, just, I needed to just push through and, and just kind of wait it out and, and at least just be trying for, you know, days on end. And I could feel my body, like even when, when I, when I mentally think, okay, you can do this, let's do this. Like I can feel like all of a sudden I have this big yawn, like, I, like my body's like revolting. <laughs> like It's like, no, we're not going to do it. No, 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 go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So it is a kind of a constant, you know, tug of war with, uh, with, with making sure that I'm being disciplined. And, um, but I have, I would say that over, especially in the last probably five to seven years, I've, I've really put in uh, a lot of like, that's where I've put my focus is, is discipline, especially because I've been writing series of songs rather than like one album at a time or one single at a time. I'm, I'm working on, um, you know, larger scale, uh, ideas. So I'm, I'm trying to, I, this last song I just finished is, is the 25th and final song in, in my Atlas two series. And so, um, I think that requires some discipline <laughs> to okay. tell well, I'm going to record, you know, 25 songs based on these themes. And then uh, if you don't have discipline, then you're going to let a lot of people down. So um, I, I, uh, I, I have, I've learned discipline and I'm still learning it. Mm-hmm. So like, what does, like, are there any practice? I mean, you talked about, you know, making it public, you know, I'm going to tell people, these are the 25 songs that I'm completing for this Atlas Year 2 project, is there anything, any other disciplines that have helped you or any things that you've put into practice that have helped you become more disciplined? Yeah, for sure. There's lots of different um, small practices that I try to, I try to keep up with. And I, I'm always kind of disappointed that I don't do them as much. But one thing that I try to do is I try to record an idea a day. So I will, whether that's just um, sitting down and spending five minutes writing just a, a journal of like, these are words that all of a sudden just kind of resonate with me today, or these are some ideas or lines or just, and not even, ne- not even necessarily thinking about it in song format. I mean, obviously that's the end goal, but um, just to kind of like, just write something. And then the same thing applies to just sitting down at the piano and trying to just have fun rather than, you know, working on a part or recording a part or recording a song or writing a song, just trying to sit down and be like, what, what, what sounds good of these, of these 12 notes? <laughs> like what, <laughs> what today makes makes sense to me and so i try to do that as much as possible when i get caught up in in you know the discipline of finishing a song or or a project i i definitely like lose that practice which is kind of a bummer um i i think that i should be doing it no matter what um but it, so i'm I w- i'm excited to return to to making that a part of my my checklist each day yeah talk talk a little bit more about how that that space for fun and even just it almost sounds like creativity with no pressure helps affect you. Oh, a hundred percent. What's, what's interesting to me about like, especially sitting down at the piano, what I'll do is I'll sit down and 90% of the time I'm sitting down and playing stuff. That's just kind of garbage. (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't sound great. Um, but every once in a while there'll be a little spark of an idea and I'll, I'll, I'll press record on my, on my tiny little like voice memos app on my phone and then I'll forget about it. So then I'll do the same thing the next day. And, um, what I love about that practice is that, you know, years or months or weeks or whatever, usually it's years um, down the road, I'll, I'll go back through and listen to these little voice memo recordings. And I, tr- it, it is truly like I've heard it for the first time because I don't remember recording any of it. <laughs> so, and I think that that helps me filter out like this is something about that chord progression it resonates with me or uh, nothing about that chord progression <laughs> resonates with me. So it's, that's been like a healthy, almost like distance, uh, in, in the creative process where it keeps it fun, where I can kind of just do it on the fly and then, um, kind of just keep collecting these little, these little piano or, or lyric ideas and then, um, or guitar or whatever instrument I'm kind of messing around with and then, um, forget about them. The, the forgetting part is probably the, the most important. <laughs> yeah. What, what other practices help you whenever it comes to creativity? 
You know, I think it's funny. I know this about me and I, for some reason, um, when I'm, when I'm actually in the thick of it, I always forget it, but I, I could, I could easily tell my, my, you know, if I pulled myself, <laughs> if I like, if I was telling somebody else's advice, it, it, it is true. But if for some reason, you know, it's always harder to take your own advice, but going out for walks is a huge deal. And it's funny when I'm, when I'm beating my head against the wall, <laughs> banging my head against the wall, I'm, I'm constantly just thinking that all I need to do is just keep, keep at it. And which is true. Like that is that discipline, but it also means like taking a 20 minute nap. It always helps. It really does. Like for me, it always helps if I take a 20 minute nap or if I go out for a, you know, a half hour walk and usually I'll either wake up with an idea or I will uh, on that walk, I'll have like the, the lines are kind of still floating around in the background of my head or ideas for production or whatever. So it really is like taking a minute to um, just go outside and maybe have air, <laughs> you know, get some sunlight <laughs> going. Um, but yeah, so those, those are, those are things that I, again, all, all super helpful practices for me that I um, choose to ignore pretty frequently. <laughs> Which is probably part of the creative process as well. I, I joke around and I'm sure a million people have said this before, but I feel like not writing is probably, you know, 98% of what writing is. <laughs> Talk a little bit more about that. You know, I think uh, if you say, I want to sit down and write a song today, um, some people can totally do that. For me, it, it it's it's a it's a process and I, I have a hard time. I, I try not to beat myself up over it when I don't, you know, when, when you go fishing and you don't, nothing, nothing's biting. Um, that's how writing feels to me most of the time. And so I kind of now chalk it up to just being like, you know, if I have a day where it's just nothing comes at all, um, I, I kind of count it as like, yeah, that was a successful day of writing. <laughs> Cause that's, that's what so much of it is, is just sitting there waiting and, and trying ideas that don't work. Um, unwriting is probably also a huge part of writing. <laughs> yeah say more about that yeah i mean uh, for every idea that i put into the world there's a, a billion that i i don't <laughs> so um there's like i said those even those small little snippets of piano ideas or or lyric ideas um the vast majority of them are are some stuff i would never want to share i i did receive some really great advice early on in my, in my writing. Um, and it was from a friend that basically just said like, remember everything you're working on, you don't have to share any of it. And I think that that, that kind of stuck with me as like, it, it's true. Like I should be working on this. And when it gets to the point where I feel like it's truth, then I will know, um, that it, it's ready to be shared. And, uh, until then it's okay to just explore and just, uh, constantly come up short, you know? <laughs> yeah. What, what do you see that people tend to underestimate or overlook whenever it comes to creativity? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think probably patience. Yeah, that probably is the, I think it's an overlooked um, or it's power and importance in writing is probably underappreciated or undervalued. Um, at least for me, I'm not, I'm not particularly great at it. <laughs> so, um, but I do think, I think like, uh, an example is, uh, so in 2010 or 2011, I began a project called yearbook. And, and the idea of this was to really push me forward in, in trying to just be in a writing mode more frequently. Uh, before that I was just writing albums once every, you know, three years I'd put out an album. So I'd be really only writing three or four songs a year at that, at that pace. And, um, yearbook was this idea that I wanted to write three songs and record and release them every month for a year. So it was 36 songs in total. And I announced it. I, I, you know, I told people that I was going to do it so that if, uh, my, my theory was that if I, if I told people, then I would, I would feel obligated to do it. And I took subscriptions. So I, I knew that people were trusting in me with their, with their hard earned money. And, um, so I, I, I figured that if I fell flat on my face, uh, in doing it, I would, you know, refund people and I would be a better songwriter because of it just by trying. And then if I didn't, I'd be a better songwriter, uh, by having gotten through it. So that was a huge, uh, you know, um, lesson for my, my, my songwriting process as a whole, but also it taught me that patience that I was talking about because for trying to come up with three songs every month required a lot of writer's block. It required mm -hmm. a lot of waiting, waiting through that. And, 
and uh, waiting, you know, patiently. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, it always worked. And on the other side of writer's block and on the other side of that patience, I do feel like some of my better ideas live, you know, that that's, uh, I, I kind of always, before that, I always thought that writer's block was, you, you've reached the, the, the edges or the limits of your creativity. And I actually think it's, has nothing to do with that. I almost feel like you're, you're coming up to a door that's going to, uh, to have some even deeper and more meaningful ideas behind it. Mm-hmm. What's helped you learn to push through that door, push through that writer's block? Um, probably because I have to. <laughs> <laughs> when I announce those uh, those types of projects, uh, Atlas is an example right now that I'm doing another large series of songs. Um, I've I've committed to it. I've told people about it, and I I don't want to let people down. And which connects to like my personality, <laughs> my personality. Um, I, I think we'll talk about the Enneagram in a little bit, but um, I I happen to be a Type Nine, and one of the Enneagram Type Nines' uh, greatest, you know aversions is is conflict and so letting people down is a conflict so i do everything i possibly can to make sure that i'm 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 doing okay for people <laughs> so <laughs> that that is a huge motivator when it comes to uh finishing music that i've promised mm-hmm. and it's really good for me too i think when left to my own um if i were just doing this on a personal level which i would be anyway um i think the output and the 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 practices that i've been talking about um wouldn't I probably wouldn't have discovered them without the the pressure of having to make sure that I'm, I'm getting people what I promised. Mm -hmm. So you've had a lot of just success whenever it comes to music, whether it be being featured in TV shows such as like Grey's Anatomy or even featured in movies such as like Twilight and stuff like that. Like, is this like how you pictured things would turn out whenever you started to initially start writing and working on music? Definitely not. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I think that when you're young, because I, I started, I started writing music when I was about 14 years old, and um, I, 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 I'm sure I don't remember exactly, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that my idea of what I would want to be doing would be similar. But um, I would, you know, I'd be, I'd be Radiohead or I'd be U2 or whatever, whatever the, you know, the the, the childhood dream would be. And the older I get, um, I, this I don't know how to say it without sounding uh, sounding like arrogant, but I I love my career, I really mm-hmm. do, and I'm I feel so privileged and and fortunate to be able to get to do it, um, and to, that anybody any of those TV shows or movies get to use my music, um, and that that in that way that is like definitely a childhood goal um, that I've reached, which is when I when I was a kid I I grew up kind of obsessed with film and TV and um, still am, and so to get to do this thing that I love more than anything music, um, to get to do that for different TV shows and movies is that's like a huge, huge goal and dream of mine. Um, so in that way, absolutely like beyond. Um, but I was, I was having this conversation recently where I think it's, it's funny. Like if you could just give me right now a, a, a career of like filling out stadiums and, um, all that kind of stuff, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it. I would, I would, I would actually like now having what I have and I'm, I'm, I have a beautiful family and I just, I have this incredible honor of getting to sit and do the thing that I love most in the world, which is write music. And, uh, um, thankfully people listen to it. So I, I, I would, I didn't know it, but this is my dream career and this is exactly how it would look <laughs> if I, if I, if I was a smarter kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I I'd say that it's, you it wouldn't be, you know, um, there's so many artists that are making music on that level. Um, but I just, I just, all that to say, I really just love the, the gifts that I've been given. This is, this has been a true privilege and a true blessing. Mm-hmm. What's currently challenging you whenever it comes to either songwriting or creativity or anything along those lines? Well, I'm in an interesting position right now because I just finished. Um, so I just came off of one of the probably the biggest creative and personal challenges of my my career, uh, which is to write my my final uh, Enneagram song, which is uh, happens to be my type. So I'm a yeah. type. So I had to kind of 
not only, um, you know, in this project of, of writing nine songs based on the nine Enneagram types, I'm, I'm, I chose to try to see the world through the eyes of all these different um, types of personality. And so um, I majorly underestimated how difficult it would be to, uh, to do that for myself. <laughs> Apparently, I'm, I'm much better at sorting out other people's baggage than my own. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was, that was a creative challenge. It took me it took me several months which is a, a bit longer than um than most of my songs require of me and uh and i i, I it kind of it kind of broke me a little bit in a way um in a really good way i would actually i should rephrase that it, it broke me open and uh that was unexpected and also um challenging on a personal level um and also to tr like go through that on a personal level and then also have to like write about it <laughs> it's like simultaneously a great thing and uh um it also simultaneously like a really hard thing to process kind of um something so fresh into into music but um so yeah so i just finished that and then um uh, now i'm now i'm wrapping up the the podcast episode for it i release episodes of uh, kind of how it was made uh after each of these songs come out and so that's kind of where i'm at right now but the yeah that was a creative challenge <laughs> yeah so like talk talk a little bit more uh if you're willing to just what did that process look like for for just writing your own number because you know I just think of myself and the own work that I've done with the Enneagram and how much you know what you were saying because it really is what you were saying with a break it is a breaking of yeah. of yourself in a sense because you go here's the good here's the bad here's the ugly the stuff that I don't like about yeah. as well and the Enneagram is unique in that way too where I feel like other other ideas of personality are, they, I think they almost start on a more positive note. <laughs> They're like, here are your strengths. Here's, here are your gifts. And the Enneagram is sort of like the exact opposite. It's like, here are all the ways that you're terrible. <laughs> but here are all the ways that um, you have the ability to be this incredible and beautiful version of yourself. And, and that's actually what drew me to it in the first place, because I've, I've always been skeptical of any sort of I don't know, narrow thinking about I mean, people are complicated. You can't people, of course we want to reduce each other to, you know, a name or a number or whatever. Um, but we're, we're more complicated than that. And I feel like the Enneagram accounts for kind of the full spectrum of, of our uh, like health, <laughs> you know? Um, Cause it really does talk about like, what a type nine uh, really looks like if they are at their absolute worst, and that's like split personality disorder and things like that. And then it also talks about um, what does a what does the type look like in its absolute most beautiful and um, kind of um, healthy form. And uh, so yeah, so I, I really I really love that. But it is like like I, like just said the 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 breaking open is kind of this interesting thing, and I'm I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty embarrassed to admit that um, I've been studying the Enneagram for I think going on six or seven years. I can't remember. And um, it took, <laughs> it took me that long to kind of have that experience with, uh, with my own type is to, in, in just these last few months, because I think I, I realized, um, I realized as I was writing my song that really I've been treating the Enneagram like it only has eight types. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been ignoring and avoiding like all of my own stuff, which is what a nine does. Um, uh, I've kind of, I've kind of parked that all in the, in the very, very deep, uh, you know, folders of my, my existence and, uh, having to write this song and, and trying to do it well and do it right, uh, meant that, um, I couldn't treat it like I wasn't the type. I, I had to treat it like both, like what is beautiful about the Enneagram type nines and then also what is beautiful and what is broken about myself. And that's, that's, yeah, that's where, uh, that's where I, I felt the, the full, the full breaking open of the, the Enneagram for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. What did, what did I, I, I really did a great job at avoiding that for all these years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, I think that's, I mean, yeah, that's true of type nines, but I think there that's just something about just us as humans is too, is we don't, we don't like looking at that ugly side. I remember whenever I first uh, read about the three and uh, I was reading the book, The Road Back to You about it. And it talked about how the deadly sin of it was deceit. Yeah. And I felt like that is like the worst thing that I could possibly. Oh, I know. It's like, if, it's like if somebody told you what, what was the, what, what's the most horrible thing you could hear about yourself and that yeah. 
Like it's, it does, the Enneagram apparently has language for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. So what did you learn about yourself through writing that nine song? I, I learned that, um, that empathy is such a key part of who the type nine is, which is really, this is, this is embarrassing to admit again, but um, I took a, a, as I was writing the song and kind of at the beginning stages, not really, not really fully uh, seeing myself yet. And uh, I, I asked on Instagram, I was like, what, what are, what are some of the beautiful parts of the Enneagram type nine? And I was kind of blown away by the response. It was, every single thing was empathy or empathy related. And my, my first thought was like, wow, nobody knows the nine. <laughs> like, this, is, this is, that's, that's, I mean, not that I'm not empathetic, but I wouldn't say that's like the, the, the number one, you know, key factor. I'm like, maybe it looks that way because I want to make sure everybody's okay. But it's, that's, there's, there's some selfishness in that too, because I, I, it's not because I want everything to be okay for them. It's because I want, I don't want to deal with, <laughs> the people's you know problems which is a real bold way of saying that I'm just a jerk <laughs> but um but the more I learned about it the more I realized that like oh it doesn't it didn't it didn't resonate like people saying that didn't ring true to me because I've been so out of touch with that part of my heart and um so I think that for me learning about the type nine was realizing that like I've kind of I've kind of let my heart play this much smaller role over the past uh, maybe decade or two of my life um, than it than it naturally wants to to be a part of it. And I think I think we all do that in different ways, and I, I think it's nine different ways of kind of guarding yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, that guarding myself meant that I kind of emotionally turned down the radio or kind of turned the volume down on that part of who I am. Um, and it's interesting because I write these very emotional songs. And so I actually feel like I, I explore my heart and I explore my emotions in music. But then when I'm just living my normal life, I'm, I'm constantly kind of self-forgetting my way uh, um, through kind of, kind of self-forgetting my heart in, 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 I guess, in plainer language. Um, so I, I just kind of have realize that that's that's a real big bummer as a husband and as a dad to kind of have that vital part of or that that beautiful part of who the type nine is to have that part taking a backseat role so that was kind of a big you know punch in the gut <laughs> to to realize that about myself that i i have been self-forgetting to the point of um uh, just not only not knowing exactly who I am, but also um, not leaving room for, for something that I think that is a gift of the Type 9. Well, Ryan, I'm excited to continue this conversation from a couple of, of weeks ago with oh, you. Man. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you again for your understanding and patience. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to get to continue our conversation. Yeah. So we had kind of wrapped up um, about talking, talking about your Enneagram 9 song and kind of the process that you went through that and what you learned throughout all of that. And I was just curious, like, what, what did the process look like for the other eight members on the Enneagram for you? Yeah, absolutely. So it was it was interesting. So I, I I might have mentioned this in the earlier conversation, but I might not have. Um, when I mapped out this series of songs and was thinking about like, all right, yeah, the Enneagram, writing these nine songs from the Enneagram, would, from the perspective of each of these types, would be that'd be so fun, and it'd be it'd be really great because I'm really passionate about this, and I I hadn't really imagined the the kind of, uh, it's very presumptuous, you know what I mean? To, to like assume that I, I could write from the perspective of all nine types. <laughs> like I didn't know that until I started to write the first type, which is type one. And I started to realize like, Whoa, like I'm, who am I to actually bring this up and, 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 you know, try to pretend like I understand who they are, or what they think. And, um, it just made, uh, if anything, it made me just realize I needed to do the work. I needed to do the research. I needed to learn everything I could about the type. And, um, until I genuinely felt like I had that, that moment of empathy or that moment of, um, 
just understanding a little bit of what makes their beauty beautiful and then also what makes their their weaknesses weak. Um, and so I really, really, really enjoyed um, that research, but it was it was significantly a, a deeper dive than I was anticipating. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so writing each of the songs, I would basically, like I would write some outlines of, of different ideas. Like I knew that for the type one song, I, I wanted it to be really succinct and um, I, it never should veer from a tempo. So I, it, in a lot of my songs, I like, I speed things up, I slow things down. Uh, I kind of change time signatures. I do all sorts of different stuff rhythmically that I wanted to, avoid for this song. I thought, you know, it and as part of kind of maybe nodding to the caricature of the of the type one, I wanted I wanted things to be perfect and locked in and <laughs> as as tight as humanly possible. Um and so I also chose like the the BPM of 120 120, um, which is like the kind of the default if any uh, if you have any, you know, recording gear, it's always 120 is what it seems like to me is like the default tempo. And I thought like in a way you could translate that that is the correct tempo. So I, I thought I'm like, okay, it has to be 120. It's going to be in the key of C uh, so that it's all, all uniform on the piano. <laughs> and so I had all these like very general ideas uh, for each of the songs. And so like for, I don't know, for type eight, I knew it was going to be very staccato. Every instrument should have short, short stabs until later in the song where it, it kind of loosens up and, and becomes a little less, um, a, a little less uh, staccato. And um, for, I'm trying to think of just some general ideas that are examples. Um, I knew for type four, it needed to be the first song ever that I included a key change because <laughs> I, I generally don't, uh, I, that's just for some reason never been my style to have a key change in a song. And I felt like, no, at type four, their emotional spectrum is so important to have more notes available to me. <laughs> so I should have done like five key chains, <laughs> but I stuck with one. Um, so I had, I had a lot of little ideas kind of over the years of, um, you know, since I announced it that I was going to write these songs. And then when, when I actually began writing, at least I had a jumping off point of some, uh, some general, uh, you know, fun musical thoughts and ideas, but actually writing the song, you know, the, the words especially, but also the melodies, um, and trying to figure out, figure out how, what makes these, makes these really beautiful and unique types think well, that was a, that was a really surprising and kind of, um, uh, it was, it was the greatest creative challenge I've ever faced for sure. Hands mm-hmm. down. <laughs> yeah. I think one of my uh, favorite things, and we'll link to this in the show notes too, is that you have a podcast that really went and de- did a deep dive into the whole process of each song. And I think one of the things that was really, um, unique is that you got the other types involved in the creation. Yeah, totally. Song. Would you be able to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I knew, I knew before I wrote these songs that like, there's two ways that I wanted to include uh, the like folks from that identify as that type. So I knew first of all, that I, wherever possible, um, I would limit myself to the instrumentations of uh, the musicians that I knew that were that were like a type one for the type one song, a type two for the type two song. And so I would call upon them. I'm like, okay, so I know a French horn player for the type four. So clearly that song needs some French horn. I also know a clarinet player that's uh, amazing. So that's going to be in type four too, because <laughs> she's a type four. Um, so I, I kind of arranged all of my musician friends in, uh, um, you know, I put, I had like a folder of like names that I was like, all right, so these are my type one musicians. These are my type two musicians. And then I invited them if they wanted to contribute and, and play these different ideas on the, on the music. And so it was really fun to kind of have a guest band of that type. And then um, on the other side of things for folks that maybe are less musically inclined or just don't have the time, um, I thought it'd be really fun. I call them fingerprints. And so I invited my, my nearest and dearest, my friends and family to, uh, uh, to record a random sound with their phone or any any recording device, and it could be literally of any sound in the universe, and uh, I would be able to weave it into like the fabric of their type's song. So I would basically like kind of tuck it into the backdrop, or um, at, sometimes you can hear it very audibly, but other times it's sort of like the kind of creates this uh, this collage of sorts in the as the as the backdrop of my song. So it's been, it was really fun because it's it's the first time I, I was able to include like I said, the, the folks that I love the most in my life, um, be able to include them in a song in, in, in one project. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what, what you've learned through the process of creating those Enneagram songs? Like thinking to yourself, like before you started that and like where you find yourself today, like what's the difference? Yeah, so when I first became familiar with the Enneagram <coughs> about seven years ago, 
what what I was kind of the reason that I ended up writing these songs is because I, I, I once you once I had a really basic understanding of what makes each type think you you can't like for me I couldn't avoid it like I could see it in every relationship I could see it in every person so it kind of echoed through my life ever since then and now that I've actually spent the time to deeply learn and have these conversations with friends that identify as each type uh, in order to research for the song um, I I I hope and I I believe I believe that I'm coming away with a, a much deeper and greater sense of empathy and much deeper and greater sense of just feeling like like even even folks that I might disagree with like just kind of having the language of the enneagram or the um, the framework that I've that I've learned through all this uh, it it just gives me a, a much greater sense of like appreciation for who they are and who they could be and who who most people are are desperately trying to become um, so I, I feel like that that perspective is was is probably the greatest gift that I've received in in writing these songs um, just to be able to kind of um, like I said for each of the each of the types like there was a certain point where my heart kind of opened up or in it broke in a way but in a, in a good way for each of the types and I think that that has hopefully made me a better husband it's made me a, hopefully a better friend and a better dad and um, a better family member. <laughs> so those, those are my hopes. At least I, I probably will still have to do quite a bit of work to get there, but, um, but at least the, this writing these songs, I think has pointed me in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So the Enneagram songs are actually like a, like a part of a larger project that you're working on the Atlas series. Yeah. And so can, can you talk a little bit about Atlas? Like what, what inspired you to start on this project and then kind of, um, kind of the idea behind year one, year two, and then where year three will be leading as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I always say this, but when I talk about this stuff, I always kind of end up in the weeds. So feel free to <laughs> help me, <laughs> help me stay out of there. Um, so basically the, the idea for this came uh, with a project called Yearbook. Uh, this is about 2010 or 2011. I got kind of, kind of tired of the idea of recording 12 songs, you know, a traditional full length record and then going away and touring for a year or two and then coming back to writing the process. And some of it was insecurity because I, after two years of not writing, I'd come back and I would be, I would be insecure about how to write a song. I, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily believe that I was capable of, of doing the work. Um, and so that, that pointed me in the direction of like, I want to write all the time. Why am I only, you know, working on this every every few years. Um, and so I, I created this idea called yearbook, which was a, a creative challenge to myself, but I also publicly, uh, you know, announced that I was going to write three songs every month for a year. And so I, I, I took subscriptions. So I knew that I had to uh, actually do it. <laughs> I took people's hard earned money and, uh, I, I said I was going to deliver 36 songs by the end of that year. And, um, and so that, <clears throat> that experience of making music and having to let go of my, my songs uh, quicker taught me so much. It was such a, not only did it work like um, I should, I should back up what I loved about the, the concept or the theory behind it was like, if I, if I, wrote three songs or if I attempted to write three songs every month for a year, I, I knew that I would be a better songwriter at the end of this project. Like either way, if I crashed and burn <laughs> and could only get through like 18 songs, like I knew that I would be, I would give everybody a refund. And, but at the same time, I know that at the end of that, I'd be a better songwriter. And then if I successfully got through 36 songs, I would be a better songwriter for it. So it was kind of like a win-win either way. Um, of course, I preferred the <laughs> finish all songs version, uh, which I did. And so, um, but what I learned throughout all that, it, just in addition to becoming, I hope, a better songwriter, um, I just got more comfortable in my, in my skin. I got a little more confident in my ability to, uh, to create without, <clears throat> without like huge pressure that if I do the thousandth take on something that that will be better than the first five takes. Like it, it taught me, I think it actually tapped me into a more authentic version of creating music for myself. Uh, because when given the, when given the option to, to write and record uh, for as long as I possibly want. And I, like, I, I'm the kind of personality that would work on the same thing forever. I would torture myself. I'd be miserable, but I could work on the same song <laughs> tweaking and getting a better piano take or getting a better vocal or what, whatever it might be, a, a ch choosing a better word. I could do that forever. And I think that the beginning of this, uh, 
this yearbook project, um, like making music in that way where I had to deliver three songs every month for a year, that taught me that not only is it healthier for me to let go sooner, but it actually, it actually protects the original beauty or the original authenticity of the thing that I was working on. So all that to say, it made me really, really excited about the idea of just writing series of music versus albums. And so um, after yearbook was all completed, I knew I was going to do another series. And so I thought, well, rather than just, you know, arbitrarily writing three songs every month for a year, wouldn't it be interesting to do more of like a, a long form concept record? And so that's kind of the birth of Atlas. So Atlas one uh, is the first chapter in the, in the series. And I wanted to basically tell the, the story of the origins of all things. So it starts with, uh, with a, a couple or a handful of songs based on darkness, <clears throat> the unknown, and then uh, I have another, uh, also, you know, please edit this out. <laughs> I'm realizing now that I'm, like I said, I get into the weeds on this stuff. I'll be able to, let me, let me, let me back up and I can explain Atlas better. So over the course of essentially, <clears throat> I think it will be a trilogy. There'll be three parts to Atlas. So part one, which is already out, um, is 30 songs and they are songs based on the origins of all things. So I was inspired to kind of tell the beginning story of the, the universe and, and, and everything in it. So it starts off with songs about darkness, then it's songs about light, and then we get kind of a little bit more metaphorically closer to us. And so it's, uh, it's songs based on each of our solar system's planets. Um, and then uh, we get a little closer and we talk about oceans. I have um, the songs based on um, land and then the oceans and then uh, that that concludes atlas one and so atlas two begins and it's all about life so it's all about us and the the theme the overarching theme of that is involuntary human development so it's it's all that we're given it's all that we're handed as soon as we're born we have our senses we have our basic human emotions um, we have our intelligence and we also have our, our, what I believe is a, is the hardwiring that makes us who we are, which is the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's kind of why I decided to include the Enneagram songs. And then Atlas three is coming up next. It's not technically announced. I don't have all the exact themes mapped out yet. Um, I have, I have quite a few ideas that I'm sorting through, uh, but that will, it will be a trilogy. Um, and basically the theme will be around voluntary human development. So everything we do with all that we're given. So we get to, we choose to love, we choose to dream, we choose our faith, we choose our, uh, basically the, everything we get to do with, uh, with, with all that we're given. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so all that to say, <laughs> I go into the weeds quite a bit and, uh, but it's, I could have easily just said in a nutshell, it's a long form, you know, concept record. <laughs> That's okay. I like, I appreciate you going into the weeds because I think it gives greater appreciation for the overall project. Thank you. Thank as, you. As a whole. Um, was there anything specific that you've learned through, uh, through Atlas so far outside of what we've talked about with the Enneagram? Yeah, um, for sure. I've been working on Atlas for about going on four or five years now, I think. And so I feel like it has been this catalyst for exploration. It's been my, uh, like writing songs based on space was, I think, tapped into a, a passion that I didn't even fully realize until writing those songs. Um, and same thing with uh, even writing the, the five songs for the five senses. <clears throat> and what's really fun about it, so because I have these themes kind of mapped out, I get to... I get to have a jumping off point and in the process I get to learn a ton about whatever subject that is that I'm writing about. So I, I got to learn a ton about each of the planets. I got to learn a ton about the variations of darkness, like not even necessarily uncomfortable darkness, but, um, but, all sorts of different ways of interpreting the word darkness and interpreting the word light. And so it, it's been really like just on a personal level, just really fun education. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course these Enneagram songs and uh, uh, just learning deeper about the, the neuroscience behind, you know, how we use our senses and, or, or how we uh, kind of how our brain kind of tunes in and out of certain senses. Like it's, it's fascinating that I've um, it, like, I, I, all of that stuff has inspired me to write in a way that I wouldn't necessarily write unless I learned those things. And so it's really fun. And, and what I said before too, about like, it's a jumping off point creatively. I find that it's not only, it, it gives actually more um, 
somehow it actually produces more freedom in the creative process when you know you have a theme to write based on uh, because you can you can interpret that theme in any number of ways um, but compared to a blank canvas it, that's a really scary thing if you said you know go write a song it can be literally about anything. Um, it'll probably take me, you know, months and months and months to try to figure out something that like, that just makes sense. Whereas if you're like, go write a song about light, like I will feel so inspired and I'll feel so, um, it, it, it will feel limitless in a way that isn't uh, daunting. It'll feel actually like, yes, I need to like, oh no, that's, that's actually about, you know, darkness so that doesn't make sense <laughs> like it, it's almost like it's helpful uh, in the same way that writing like film scores is helpful too um i've found that like having a visual that you're writing music to is actually really really helpful because there's certain things that just clearly don't work so it's like automatic feedback you're kind of like this this doesn't make any sense with the theme that i'm trying to write for or this visual that i'm trying to write against um so yeah so on a creative level um this atlas has been a really fun um uh, just kind of creative task. Yeah. And so I'm guessing that, uh, that you've also started writing these songs about space and space events. Did, did Atlas yeah. lead to that? Totally. Yeah. So once I finished my, uh, my songs for each of the, the planets in our solar system, I was actually kind of bummed out that I was done with that. Cause I was like, Oh man, how do I, it would be really fun if I could keep writing space songs too. Um, and so I started a, a separate series called Astronomy. Um, and it's based on uh, basically discoveries and astronomical events that happen. So it's really fun because at the beginning of each year, I don't really know what events are going to occur. And I write these songs very quickly. They're usually instrumental, um, but it's a really fun uh, way to, I, I basically treat them as like these little film scores for uh, observable events in space. So it keeps me writing in the, in the space theme and I, I love that so much. And I'm actually just, I'm just about finished with the volume one of, of, of my astronomy series too. So it's kind of fun that the, with, with this final Enneagram song, Enneagram, uh, the, the type nine song that kind of concludes my Atlas two, uh, which also is now my, my astronomy volume one is concluding my, my covers volume three is concluding. So I'm in this really kind of beautiful, uh, transition space. Yeah. And speaking of covers, that's something else I want to just ask you about as well yeah. as that you, you've done an incredible selection of covers. Um, and, and obviously, in addition to your own original music as well, what have you learned about uh, covering songs that maybe you haven't learned on writing your own original music? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, what's interesting, too. So long, long ago, I actually really did not enjoy covers. I actually was kind of like, nah, that's not something I'm really interested in. Uh, other than Christmas songs. I love, I love like the tradition and I've done this for well over a decade now where I record one Christmas song each year and then, um, I give it away for free. And, um, it's sort of my version of like a Christmas card. Um, but I started to, I, I start, I had the opportunity, um, Grey's Anatomy reached out and they said, would you be interested in covering the song by the Proclaimers? It's called 500 Miles. And I was like, huh? Yeah. I mean that, I'd be fun. And so I listened to it and the song is, is clearly a very different genre than my own music. And, um, they had a Grey's Anatomy was basically wanting, they're like, can you kind of make this your own? And so it was really fun. And that process just from that song onward has taught me how to listen to just popular music differently. Uh, like the, if you listen to the lyrics of 500 miles, they are, it's a gorgeous love song. It really is. It's a, they're, they're beautiful lyrics. And even though the original genre is, is kind of an upbeat and, and happy song that I think you pay more attention to the kind of the sentiment of the, of the tone of the song. Um, when I was covering it, I, I really wanted to bring out like how romantic of a song it is. It's really beautiful. It's an absolutely stunning love song. And so I think that doing these covers has actually taught me how to listen to music differently. So it's, uh, and I'm always kind of, I'm always listening to music in a way. I'm, I, I feel like I have multiple ears on it. You know, I'm, I'm listening as a musician. I'm listening as a producer. I'm listening as a fan. I'm listening as just somebody who's a songwriter. I'm, I'm you know, so from all these different perspectives. Um, but doing these covers has actually, uh, helped me imagine each song in a, in a different genre to kind of almost help me like hear it purely rather than like hear what it actually is. Does that make sense? Like I'm not, when I hear a song, I'm not just thinking, Oh, this is a pop song. And the, this lyric stood out to me. I'm, I'm hearing it 
now in, in the way that's like, this is a song period. I don't, I don't care what genre of music it is. It's a song and that's beautifully written. You know, like it, I think it gives, adds some value and, and, um, uh, yeah, it's been really fun. I, I, I appreciate that the right, playing these cover songs has actually helped me to to love music a little more. Mm-hmm. What's helped you become more comfortable with that with that mentality? Because you know, I'm I'm not a musician myself, mm-hmm. but I can just think of you know, if you hear a song and you're like, oh man, I I almost feel like the pressure of like, hey, I have to do it kind of the same way. What's helped you fight through that and go, no, I'm I'm going to make it my own. You know, some of it's I think because I've made music for so long, I kind of know what my strong suits are and I know what my, my weaknesses are. So if I try to write a, you know, if I'm going to turn a cover into a really happy song, it's probably not going to make that much sense. Like my, my tone of voice is a little bit melancholic. Uh, my, 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 like what I love about melody leans a little sad. Like there, like my instrumentation choices are very, uh, (laughs) <laughs> very glum and it, like I, I like things to sound muted and I like things to sound kind of um close and intimate and so uh, I, I kind of know that like just based on music that I love so naturally if I hear like a country song like I'll try to honor whatever the writer chose to do with that song but really when it comes down to it, like I know that it won't be honoring it by me doing it as a country song because <laughs> I'm not a country artist um <clears throat> So I think, and sometimes uh, the majority of my cover songs have actually been like commissions for uh, different TV shows, primarily Grey's Anatomy. They've been incredibly kind uh, to keep in- inviting me to to kind of put my voice into the show. And um, so most of the time they will say, this is, this is the scene. This is the, the kind of the emotional backdrop. Like we, we need you to, uh, or we need this song to, uh, to, to make the the audience feel this specific thing. And so I kind of know based on that, like, yeah, it can't be a poppy song right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Somebody's very sick and I need to make sure that, you know, I'm not fighting against that emotion in the storytelling. Mm-hmm. So just as uh, we're heading towards wrapping up, we always have a few questions that we love uh, to just ask everybody. And the first yeah. one is what's one thing that is helping you either personally or professionally right now? Oh, that's really awesome. Um, I would say one thing that I'm really enjoying right now that's like as of, uh, I've been enjoying it for a year, but especially recently, this this online series called Masterclasses. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but they're, they're just so great. And I, I, so I, I subscribe to the whole thing and I, I just, I can't get enough of it. It helps me learn like outside of, like I'm learning how to cook by from Alice Waters and um, Thomas Keller. And, uh, like uh, these clearly uh, like I'm a musician. I have, uh, I'm just fascinated to see other people's passions and it inspires me to somehow in some indirect way, it, it inspires me to, to, um, love what I'm, what I'm making as, you know, in, in deeper ways. So, so yeah, so I would say on a personal level, you know, I'm learning how to cook so that, <laughs> that it's not yet a gift to anyone, but hopefully it one day, one day soon, I'll be a better chef. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, have, have you seen much bleed over between learning how to cook and then how it's affecting your music? I think there's some, um, some interesting analogies that I'm kind of realizing too. And I've heard songwriters talk about this and even, even different chefs talk about this. Uh, but there is like your, you know, your ingredients are your instrumentation here, here, the way you cook is how you perform the song. Um, the, the execution is somebody, you know, enjoying that dish or listening to that song. Uh, so there's, there's definitely some overlap that I can't overlook. You know, that's really, it's really fun to, to kind of see, but in no, in no practical, and a kind of totally goofy level. <clears throat> so I have a song based on the the sense of taste. And so for that song, I actually was, I think, watching one of the master classes long ago too. Um, but for that song, I knew that the percussion needed to include all of the the taste ingredients. Um, so there's, there's salty, there's sweet, there's, so um, I went to the grocery store and I bought things for each of those different, <laughs> each of those different things to include in the percussion. So in that very direct way, uh, my, my love, my new love of cooking is, uh, <laughs> influenced my song taste. Yeah. Uh, if you could have everyone learn one thing, what would it be? Oh, how to love themselves and others. Well, 
yeah, that's actually, <laughs> I, I'm embarrassed to almost quote my own lyric, but in, in my type nine song, I think that was my realization, not only for writing the Enneagram songs, but for um, learning more about who I am because I'm a type nine. Uh, it was basically the resolution, this understanding that like to love our, to know and to love ourselves well is the most meaningful and difficult thing we'll ever do. So that's something that I, I, I think I'm learning still, um, but I feel like I feel like it's a it's it's an important thing that I'm going to keep trying to work on and remember in my life. Yeah, what advice would you give to someone who's eager to learn? Oh, in addition to master classes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't work for them. I just really love them. Uh, I think actually, uh, I think that. Folks that want to learn, I think, already have the the gift of curiosity, and I feel like that's that's I would actually say for for maybe people that don't re- like that aren't necessarily seeking out learning. Like mm-hmm. my advice to them would be to just get really curious. But um, for folks that are already curious, I think they're probably already doing the thing, <laughs> seeking out the the education that they need. Yeah. Uh, you've already mentioned a few people, but who, who are some of your favorite people to learn from right now? Oh gosh. Um, Bob Goff is definitely one of my absolute favorite people. He's, he's one of the, one of the few folks that if I'm, if I get 10 minutes with him in person at any point in my year, uh, it will, it will have like an impact in my, in my following months. Um, I would also say (coughs) my friend, Roger Sandberg, uh, who has just taught me so much. Um, my friend, uh, Chris Hewitts and David Hodges, uh, my friend, Jeremy Bloom, like there's, I've learned a lot from, from the, the friendships that I have uh, as well as my family, my mom's, my mom's kind of like this, uh, this amazing source of not only, um, encouragement and kindness, but she is, um, just somebody that I'm, I'm constantly learning from as well. And of course I'm learning from my, my, my kids. <laughs> Actually, my kids are, are incredible teachers. They really are. Uh, their, their, their beautiful youth is such a, yeah, it's such a gift to get to be around. And, um, I feel like it, it, it teaches me something new literally every day about myself or about life or about God it's yeah, they're, they're little, they're little mini prophets. <laughs> and finally, what are you learning right now? Well, <laughs> this is embarrassing. Um, but for my kids, I learned a few magic tricks yeah. <laughs> like yesterday. Uh, I'm terrible at them, but they seem to, uh, they seem to appreciate, they already completely know how the trick is done. So, um, I failed. However, it was, <laughs> it, was, it was fun. Maybe for their kids, you know, in the however many years, I'll, I'll be able to <laughs> get the full use out of these, these new magic tricks I learned. But it was actually a, mag- a master class with Penn and Teller. <laughs> and so I watched that and I, I, I was like, yeah, I'm going to learn magic today. Of course I am. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, Ryan, I know people are going to want to continue to learn from you, find music from Sleeping at Last. So where's the best place for them to go to do those things? Uh, thanks. Well, I am on all of the the usual, you know, suspects. <laughs> suspects, is that right? <laughs> yeah, so, the usual suspects. Yep. That sounds wrong for some reason. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram, Sleeping at Last. <clears throat> Twitter, Sleeping at Last, at Sleeping at Last, um, and sleepingatlast.com is, uh, is the home base of all of my, all of my news. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, what a gift. Seriously, thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks for, again, being so patient with me and for, for making this, this part two happen. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation. You're, you're excellent at what you do. Well, Ryan, thanks again for being on the show today. If you want to learn more from Ryan or follow him, you, the best place to probably the best place to go would be sleepingatlast.com, and you can find all of his social media there, all of his projects and music and uh, podcasts and all creative outlets that he has going on there. Remember to either subscribe to the podcast or if you're following on Spotify, make sure that you hit the follow button on that and you'll never you'll never miss an episode. We have some great ones coming up. 
as well. Again, I want to remind you that the music that you're listening to is provided by Sam Massey and to hit him up um, in the show notes for the links to how you can get a hold of him as well. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Caleb Mason podcast. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing.